Hi everyone, my name is Melissa Lee and I'm your health coach who targets women with PCOS and women in general who wants to achieve stubborn weight loss. I do my best work when I work with PCOS urban women in their 30s who are embarrassed about their weight but want to feel comfortable in their bodies and are able to lose stubborn weight naturally. In this podcast, we talk about various topics including why stubborn weight loss is so hard to achieve. If this is you, definitely put this in your podcast list because one episode will be released every single week. Hey everyone, I have someone amazing on the show today, Nicole Jardim. You will hear more about what she has to say about periods, PMS, and PCOS. Um, In this episode, we cover a lot of science terms really quickly. And if you are unsure about even the basics of the menstrual cycle, I really encourage you to look for a previous episode um, that I recently released. So that episode is part of the series called Regulate Your Periods Without Going on the Birth Control. And the title is Four Seasons of the Menstrual Cycle. So that will give you all the basic knowledge about science, about our hormones, about what to look for in a menstrual cycle and what the phases are called. So those, that, that series goes really well with our episode today. Hi everyone, I have Nicole Jardim on the show today. Nicole is a certified women's health coach, writer, speaker, and creator of Fix Your Period. Her work has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of women around the world in effectively addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PMS, irregular periods, PCOS, painful and heavy periods, missing periods, and many, many more. So I'm really excited to have Nicole on here today to talk about period issues. Welcome. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited too. I'm really excited. Um, I feel like a lot of people know who you are, um, but just to give, give them a little brief you know, background to you, uh, how did you get into women's health? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for saying that a lot of people might know who I am. <laughs> but <laughs> then a lot of people might not know. Not so. <laughs> I know it's always shocking when people do. But yes, I, you know, I really struggled when I was a teenager. I had major period problems and I did not think twice about them to be completely honest because my mom had said to me that she had had even worse periods and a lot of my friends were struggling with their own periods in one way or another. So I just kind of assumed that this was how it was. <laughs> and yeah. I was meant to, yeah, I was meant to just sort of live in period purgatory for my whole life. And it wasn't until I was about 17 or 18 that I started noticing that my periods would come every three or four months in addition to the fact that they were super heavy, really, really painful. They, were, they would last for many more days than what was normal, all the fun things. And I, I was like, okay, well, this is kind of a blessing in disguise. <laughs> it's great. I don't have to worry about it every month. Mm-hmm. But then that just got worse and worse. And so it would get to like four months. And finally, I was like, okay, maybe I should go see the doctor. So I finally went and she immediately put me on the birth control pill. That was her solution. And I was thrilled because... Mm-hmm. I was finally like, okay, I'm going to be on the pill like all my other cool friends and this is great. And so I went on the pill and I was actually really excited because finally my period came on time and I didn't have any pain anymore. And it was five days long instead of 10 days long and there were no blood clots and you know, all the things. And so finally I felt like I was normal and things were okay for a few years. But then I started to notice all of these, these symptoms that came out of nowhere and they felt mm-hmm. completely unrelated. And I eventually 
realized after many years of, of trying to figure it out that it was actually the pill that was causing all of these side effects. And I finally saw an acupuncturist after Western medicine just could not help me at all. And he was the one who said that I needed to come off of the pill. So it really was this very long decade of yeah. experimentation, of suffering, of trying to figure out what was wrong with me, coming to a close and understanding that, wow, okay, acupuncture really seems to help. And so do Chinese herbs. And so mm. does changing my diet. And so there was a lot, there was another decade of experimentation of how to tr figure out what was wrong with me and get back in balance. And that was really what led me to this work. Wow, I just find that there's so much similarities uh, between you and I because I was also put on the birth control and I also ended up going to Chinese medicine. Oh. Uh, and like, yeah, having my peers regulated from herbs and acupuncture. Um, I also noticed that a lot of people who enter this work, um, enter the whole field about period and women's health, we always have some kind of experience and personal stories. With it. So <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes, it's so true. I agree. I feel like you need, you become so much more relatable mm -hmm. to women when you have, have had a similar experience. Yeah, totally. And it makes the whole coaching experience even more like in-depth and personal. Mm -hmm. um, so what should we be looking for with our periods? Oh boy, isn't that a loaded question? I know it is. <laughs> you know, right? Especially when you think about the fact that we don't even know what's normal and what's not for our periods, which is what I find so incredibly frustrating. There's such a lack of understanding of how a female body actually functions, as you well know. And you know, when it comes to what's normal, what's not, I think these are the questions I get the most. So mm -hmm. what we really want to be looking for when it comes to your menstrual cycle and your period is a cycle that ranges somewhere between 25 and 35 days. The scientific literature shows somewhere between 21 and 35 days, but I do like to see more of the 25 day cycle or more. And the reason for that is because I find that under that 21 days, uh, women tend to have heavier, more painful periods. They tend to have longer days of bleeding. They also tend to have more anovulatory cycles or a short luteal phase. So I find that the 25 to 35 day cycle is, is kind of ideal. Over 35 days, it's often a sign that you're not ovulating consistently or you're ovulating very late in your cycle. Mm -hmm. Because of course, um, you know, if you ovulate late, it'll mean you have a longer cycle. And that is often, of course, linked to a condition like polycystic ovary syndrome or um, a, another reason why you might be not be ovulating more towards the middle of your cycle. And with regards to your actual period, what I love to see is a period somewhere between three and seven days. And you're, you know, you're basically not losing too much blood, but you're not losing too little blood either. <laughs> yeah. Blood loss is so complicated because, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. I poured over the research when I was writing the book and it was really difficult actually to find anything that was conclusive on what is, what's okay and what isn't okay. It was really actually very hard. That's and, weird. You know, you, you'd mm. think so, but like the thing is, is that measuring blood loss, menstrual blood loss is not exactly easy. <laughs> so it's very difficult to do that in a research setting, especially because it's not just blood we're losing, right? We're losing mm -hmm. tissue and we're losing clots and, you know, there's like things in there, there's other things. So, and fluid as well. So it's one of those things that is hard to, it's hard to measure. But I always say that, you know, if you're changing your pad or tampon 
um, more than every one to two hours, you know, for multiple days during your period, or you have to change your period protection at night, in the middle of the night, or you find that you are, um, you know, really fatigued or exhausted by your period, or you also maybe even notice that you're, um, you have to double up on your protection, like you need a pad or a tampon, or you need a pad and a cup mm -hmm. or something like that, then that's often a sign that something's up. Like if you're bleeding for more than eight days, that to me is a sign that you're on the heavier side for sure. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side of that, if you are, you know, only using like five pads or tampons or less for your entire period, or you notice that your period is pinkish in color, not really like a vibrant red, and you notice maybe that you just spot rather than actually having a proper flow, that's often a sign to me that you're on the on too light. And so those are, you know, those are things to be looking out for. And then I think the other thing with relation to symptoms is that generally speaking, Period pain for me, if you're taking more than two ibuprofen or pain is disrupting your life in any way, that's a sign that it's not normal. And I know that that's like shocking to so many people <laughs> because apparently when your uterus hurts, it's totally normal. Uh, even though when other body parts hurt, it's not okay. So we have to really change our perspective on period pain. So I do say like, if you are experiencing pain that disrupts your life, that's a sign that something's, something is up and you have to dig deeper. And the other part of that too is spotting, which I see a lot of as well. So if you're spotting for more than a couple of days before your period, that to me, again, is a sign that something's up. Your progesterone is likely dropping prematurely. Your progesterone is, is either not high enough um, or you know, to hold your uterine lining in place, or maybe there's low thyroid function because your thyroid certainly affects your menstrual cycle as well. So those are some of the signs that we should be looking for, I think. Wow, that's a lot to take in. Um, well, quick question about the spotting. So you said that, you know, spotting a few days before could be a sign to do with your um, progesterone being too low. Um, I, for example, for me, I tend to spot just like a day before my period comes. Is that normal? Yeah, I, sorry, I should okay. have clarified that. It, one okay. to two days before your period is not a big deal. Right. Three or more days though, oftentimes mm -hmm. like, if you're tracking your cycle and you're actually taking your basal body temperature, which is that temperature first thing upon awakening, that is you know, what I, I ask women to do to sort of see what's going on with their progesterone because that your basal temperature rises in the second half of your cycle. And that usually is a good indicator that your progesterone is at a level that you need it to be at. Mm -hmm. And so the point here is that if you're taking your temperature, you'll notice your temperature dropping. And if you notice it dropping significantly, over, you know, like the three to five days before you get your period, that to me is a sign that progesterone is dropping prematurely. And that would usually trigger spotting because your progesterone usually holds your lining in place. And when it drops, it's a sign mm -hmm. to your lining that it's time to go. So one to two days is not a big deal at all. I just find that more than that, you should probably, you likely will experience other symptoms. That's the other thing. Your PMS might feel like it's really out of control. I see. Okay, that totally makes sense. So what about like spotting after the period? Because mm. I mean, I guess, is it also like, you know, one to two days is normal and then anything more than that is just kind of like... Totally. That's yeah. kind of how okay. I, I see it. Mm -hmm. I try to let women just remind them that, you know, your 
these symptoms are, are really just messages. They're signs from your body. You're, this is how your body communicates with you. And, and we tend to freak out because we don't, we don't know, right? Like I said before, we've not been given the periods 101 education ever. Yeah, <laughs> and, totally. Oh my God. <laughs> it's missing. Uh-huh. Majorly missing. And so as a result, we are constantly just feeling around in the dark, being like, Nicole, is this normal? I don't know. You know, and like people are really out and it's because we just don't know. And so what I say about spotting after your period is when I think about like a day or two after, no big deal. And usually sometimes it's like darker or brown blood. That's okay too. It usually just means that you're, you know, the, that's the slowest moving blood. It's sort of the tail end blood. So when blood gets dark like that, it just means it's been oxidized. It's been exposed to oxygen. So that's, it's usually okay. Um, but what I find is when you're spotting for more than that, oftentimes that might signify, and again, this is not a diagnosis, but it might signify a condition like endometriosis, maybe uterine fibroids, a polyp, something that's causing uh, there to be extra blood loss over a period of time. So that's just like what might be the case. It might be a thyroid thing as well. Like I said, thyroid is very much connected to your menstrual cycle in multiple ways. And so your thyroid might be impacting what your blood loss pattern looks like as well. So yeah, a couple of days on, on either end, not a huge deal. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing for everyone to remember too is sort of from a physical aspect of all of this, you have to think about your uterus and how it's actually positioned in your pelvic cavity. And so your uterus can be malpositioned. And I've learned this over the years through um, pelvic physical therapists. So there's mm -hmm. such things as a pelvic PT and then also visceral manipulation therapy. And they, you know, they work on your body in a way to reposition organs that are not in the right position. And your uterus is one of those things. And so if your uterus is flipped, is, is tipped or, you know, sort of like flipped backwards, which can happen um, for multiple reasons, then you're, it's harder for it. First of all, it has to contract harder. So it can hurt more when you mm -hmm. get your period. And secondly, it's harder for the blood to come out. So blood could pool and then that older blood might come on the, on the tail end or it might come in the next cycle with a couple of days of spotting prior to your period or maybe more. So just again, something to think about, like it's not just about hormones. It might be that there's a physical thing happening too. Oh, interesting. I never, yeah, I never heard about that whole uh, position of the uterus. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's such a thing. I know, right? It's like there's so many really? rabbit holes to go down right now. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm like so trying many. to wrap my head around. Um, so, uh, just a quick question. So earlier on, you were talking about you know how uh, if you have a longer period than 36 days, 36 days or more, mm -hmm. um, you might not be ovulating. You might have PCOS. What about women who have less than 25 days in their cycle? Like, what does that mean? Yes. And, you know, again, it might be that you fluctuate, right? So mm -hmm. for what I see classically, though, with women who have a less than 24 days or less is that, you know, many times they're potentially not ovulating or not ovulating consistently. So that what has happened is they don't have like an actual cycle in that they don't have the phases, the follicular, then ovulation, mm -hmm. and then that luteal phase, which would be the time where, you know, between ovulation and getting your next period. And so that luteal phase, there are two issues. They either didn't ovulate, so they have this short luteal phase and they just get a, you know, they have a bleed, there's just a withdrawal bleed, mm -hmm. or 
they did ovulate and they have a short luteal phase. And you know, that's, that comes from multiple things, which I'll get to in a second, but that short luteal phase is a problem. Mostly it comes up when we're trying to have kids or when we're trying to get pregnant mm -hmm. because you need a luteal phase that's really a minimum of 10 days, ideally, to allow enough time for that fertilized egg to leave your fallopian tube and travel all the way to your uterus and implant. And so it needs that amount of time, ideally. So a luteal phase, generally speaking, is somewhere between like 10 and 16, 17 days. Really, it maxes out at like 17 days in the scientific literature. That's what it does. So you really don't ever have a like a luteal phase that's longer than that. And as a result, you know, like when you ovulate, like, you know, if you've ovulated, then you're going to get your period probably within about two weeks or so somewhere right. around. Yeah. There. Yeah. Okay. But this is what happens with women with these, you know, shorter cycles. Mm -hmm. And this is often, I find driven by an estrogen dominance type situation where, you know, estrogen is, is too high in relation to progesterone and they're either, you know, not ovulating or they ovulate late in the cycle. So they have the short luteal phase. They don't make enough progesterone. So they then definitely have a short luteal phase and they get their period earlier. And also too, keep in mind as well, like all of this is driven by inflammation. So this is driven by what we're eating, how we're living, how stressed we are, what's going on in our lives. Like what's the state of our gut health? Is our liver detoxing estrogen effectively? So there are multiple reasons why you know, one might have these, these issues happen and we have to dig, you know, a little bit deeper, but those are usually what's going on for women with these shorter cycles. Interesting. So you mentioned estrogen dominance. Um, would heavy and painful periods uh, be a sign of estrogen dominance as well? Yes, oftentimes. And the reason, like I was saying for that is mostly because we are inflamed. And generally speaking, as, a, as a, at least as an American population, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but I, yeah. I know that for the most part, we all are worldwide. We are, we're, pretty, we're pretty inflamed. So there's a lot like rampant inflammation throughout our population. And that is so much linked back to what is happening with our diet, especially the nature of our guts and you know our, our microbiomes, as well as our gut linings and integrity as and in addition to that our liver and and what's happening there it's like an overwhelmed liver is never going to be able to break down hormones in the way it needs to and then ultimately remove them from the body so we have all of these contributing factors to this overall state of inflammation and when we're inflamed like that what happens is we tend to convert um, or our bodies tend to have more estrogen in relation to progesterone. And there are multiple reasons. So we may be in a situation where we, because we're inflamed, we're not ovulating consistently or we're ovulating and it's not what's known as like an efficient ovulation where it's like a high quality ovulation, so to speak. So we don't make the adequate amount of progesterone that we need to, to get through that full luteal phase. And so that might be an issue um, we may also be in a situation where, you know, we have high blood sugar and a lot of us do because of our diets. And as a result, if you have high blood sugar and subsequently high insulin, this can cause 
the um, conversion of testosterone into estrogen. Mm. So it increases that conversion. And so we end up in a situation because of what we're eating with this higher level of estrogen. And it, so it's not so much the estrogen that's causing the painful periods, it's the underlying inflammation that's causing the rise in estrogen that's also triggering the, the painful periods that we're experiencing. So it's, you know, it's multifaceted, like I mm-hmm. said, but ultimately it's all connected, which we don't really realize sometimes. So a summary of what you just told me, it just seems like our lifestyle choices, um, you know, might or might not cause inflammation. And if it does, it affects the, um, the balance between estrogen and progesterone and also like other hormones like insulin and testosterone. And, exactly. and you know, progesterone and estrogen are our main kind of sex hormones within our menstrual cycle so anything that affects them will ultimately lead to like period problems and pms and stuff like that that's a good summary is that it? that's an amazing summary exactly i know i feel like we Mm -hmm. tend to overcomplicate things a little bit and it's probably (laughs) because again we weren't ever really taught this stuff Mm -hmm. but you know a lot of women will say things like nicole my progesterone's low what do i do or my estrogen's high what do i do or Mm -hmm. you know like they'll they we tend to silo this stuff and it's it makes sense because again western medicine does that with our bodies we we go to a a gi doctor for our gut we go to a rheumatologist for our joints so we don't ever connect anything and i think what we need to understand is that all of our hormones work in a tiered system and they all impact each other they have a you know the cortisol and insulin have a downstream effect on our other hormones, sex hormones in particular. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, yes, like it's all connected. And if you fix what's happening on top, usually the downstream effect is positive. Yeah. It's like a soup. To me, it's like a hormone soup. (laughs) (laughs) They're all just mashed together. Um, Totally. Yes. (laughs) So on that, on that note, um, you know, I think a lot of us pop pills uh, to do a painkillers to deal with PMS. So how do we actually deal with PMS in a more natural way instead of popping pills? Oh, I know this is so loaded as well. Oh my goodness. I I feel like, you know, when I think about PMS, I, I think the first thing is that we need to we need to rebrand it a little bit, I believe, because Mm -hmm. PMS or premenstrual syndrome, as it's known, it kind of, it it frustrates me because I think that generally speaking in our society, we have labeled it as something being really bad, right? Like, oh, I'm so PMS-y. She's PMSing. She's so bitchy. Blah, blah, blah. Right. She's crazy. Right. And that usually Mm -hmm. comes from the men in our society. Sorry guys, but it's true. And it, and I think that it's been, it's been normalized as a thing that just happens to us, right? And that, you know, there are some studies that show that like 90% of women suffer from PMS. And I keep thinking about this because I'm like, well, how is it that you know, this many women around the world suffer from a syndrome every single cycle? It just doesn't totally make sense. So I'm like, were our bodies really designed this way? doesn't really make sense either. So what I have found is that there are, again, multiple reasons why our moods may change so drastically that we're, you know, ready to like kill people and stuff when we, when we're in the second half of our cycles. I mean, I've had men reach out to me. I just had one yesterday actually send me a message saying that he's, you know, going through the PMS time right now, and he doesn't know what to do to help his wife. And could I help him? So I feel like this, you know, this is obviously a major issue. And what I have found is that when we look at, at the menstrual cycle as a whole in the first half of our cycle, 
estrogen is rising, testosterone is rising. These are the happy, go lucky, feel good hormones. You know, our libido is, is cranking up and estrogen is, you know, supportive of our mood and our well-being and our hair looks great, our skin looks great, we're about to ovulate, life is great. And I do think that, you know, these these hormones tend to sort of cloud our judgment maybe a little bit. They make us feel great. And right, so we're not really thinking too much about the bad stuff. But what I have found is that as soon as we cross over the threshold of ovulation into the luteal phase, into this progesterone time, first of all, we're in a bit of an epidemic of progesterone deficiency. Like I said, for all those reasons I was describing, inflammation, all that stuff. And so a lot of us tend to not have enough progesterone to support our moods and our well-being in the second half of our cycle. So that's one issue. I think the second thing is that progesterone in and of itself is like it's like a truth serum hormone. It's like a hormone that really helps us see very clearly. It's like the mm-hmm. rose-tinted glasses have come off and now like the very clear focus glasses have come on. And so we're analyzing, and we tend to do this in that second half, we're analyzing our life. What's working? What's not working? And we become very, very truthful about what's not working. And I think that that's a big part of this. And it's unfortunately been interpreted in a way in our society as us being bitchy, as us being rude or being mean or you know, being aggressive or being angry. And what I ultimately think it comes down to is like, oh, we're actually just being our true selves like this. And it's okay because hello, we're humans. We have a wide range of emotions. When it becomes disruptive, just like period pain, that to me is a sign something's up. Like what's working in your life and what's not working in your life that you might need to examine that. Like if this pattern is showing up every single month, Mm -hmm. there's got to be some self-examination, but there's also got to be physical examination too. What is going on with your blood sugar? Is your blood sugar a complete seesaw? Is it all over the place? Because your blood sugar is very much more impacted in the second half of your cycle than it is in the first. Estrogen helps to stabilize your blood sugar. You don't have as much in the second half of your cycle. So you're definitely responding different. And when you think about blood sugar swings, like up and down and the crashes, a lot of the emotional symptoms of PMS are very similar to blood sugar imbalances. So we have to look at what's happening with our blood sugar. We have to look at our gut health. If your gut is inflamed, your brain is inflamed. There's very much a connection between gut health related issues and emotional symptoms. And so this, I think, has been one of the biggest needle movers for my clients is mm-hmm. balancing blood sugar and addressing gut dysbiosis, leaky gut, gut-related problems to help address what's going on mentally and emotionally because there's brain inflammation. I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, it is really very interconnected. And um, obviously for us, we're like, you know, we're always reading research and we, we kind of know how important the gut is, but uh, like a normal average person wouldn't know that. Um, mm-hmm. So when you were ta- actually, when you were talking about the whole PMS and how we're like different in every phase of the cycle, I actually found a system that kind of works. So um, I would name the phases of my cycle according to the seasons. Yeah. So um, just kind of like uh, spring, summer, fall, winter, and winter is the, the period phase. And I explained that to my husband and he gets it better. So for every phase, I would actually write down what I want and what I need. And I've done that for a few cycles and compile it so that I can just explain to him, okay, I'm in my fall phase now, whatever. And then he kind of gets it. 
So I feel like that could be also an alternative way of letting your partner or whoever lives with you know, like, okay, you're like, you know, you're like in this stage right now. So. Yes. I love that so much. I talked about that too in the book as well, where um, I, you know, was talking about the different phases and what's going Mm -hmm. on and like how to, how to describe them like the seasons, like you just said, because I, yeah, I completely agree that it's so necessary to be able to try to be able to figure out a way to communicate this to the people in your life, especially if you're really struggling, because I am definitely not downplaying the fact that, you know, PMS or at least premenstrual symptoms and PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder exist. There's no doubt about that. Like that these symptoms are real. They're not all in your head. I I don't want anyone to believe that I think that. I just think Mm -hmm. that it's more about like, why do we have them in the first place? Like, this is really what I want women to be doing. I want women to put on their little period detective hat and start to, you know, pay attention. Like you said, what you did is so great. Like where you, you wrote out what it is you need in each of the phases. It's perfect because that to me is communicating to the person that you live with uh, in a way that is helpful to them so that when you are in this place, they, they know how to help. And that's really what this comes down to is like being able to ask for help, asking for what we need. We don't do that very well as women, mm-hmm. do we? Yeah, totally. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about PCOS right now, now that we've covered a lot of, on the periods. So PCOS women, you know, we have a lot of irregular periods. Uh, what are the causes of that? Of, of polycystic ovary of, syndrome? Of irregular PCOS? periods. Oh, of irregular periods. Yeah, oh boy, yes. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? So I, I feel like, I mean, first of all, I know you've probably said this and I will just reiterate, but you know, <laughs> I consider PCOS, you know, it's like, I, it's an inflammatory endocrine mm-hmm. disorder and it's characterized by high androgens or, you know, quote unquote, male hormones like testosterone and an elevated luteinizing hormone or LH. And so this is, you know, very problematic for for women who have this condition or these collection of symptoms because both of those things can prevent your ovarian follicles from reaching the ovulation stage. So that's really a big problem in and of itself. So when we think about polycystic ovary syndrome, when we think about the fact that like we have these high androgens, for instance, Uh, you know, I was saying this before with blood sugar, and that's why, you know, it's so critical to be balancing blood sugar and insulin levels when you have PCOS. And the reason for that is because, well, it's, you know, twofold, but basically what will happen is uh, higher, higher insulin levels can cause your ovaries to convert, or sorry, to make uh, test more testosterone instead of the estrogen that they normally make. So we end up in a situation where our ovaries are not doing what they're supposed to do. They're making more testosterone and that's disrupting your entire uh, cycle, your whole, um, your whole reproductive cycle or menstrual cycle. And if that's happening, your follicles on your ovaries are just not able to do what they're supposed to do. They're never going to get to the point where they are mature enough or one is mature enough to actually be, you know, to release the egg that's inside of it. And so unfortunately, the other issue is that when we have elevated LH, Mm -hmm. uh, we, we don't, we have so much in our system that we don't have, it just doesn't allow it to spike up high enough to trigger that Uh, egg release from the ovary or from the follicle. And so we end up in a situation where we just have like all these follicles that look like, you know, cysts, 
on our ovaries and the whole system has been kind of hijacked. And so, you know, it really comes down, I think in many cases to what we're doing with our lifestyle and how we're supporting our blood sugar and our insulin levels. And again, how we're supporting our gut as well, because like I said, this is an inflammatory condition. So what is, you know, what's triggering this inflammation that's then impacting our ovarian function. And it's so important for us to remember that our ovaries are actually really susceptible to the effects of inflammation. They are very mm -hmm. delicate tissue. And for some of us, you know, not all of us, but some of us are, you know, genetically, uh, I guess, predetermined. It's genetically predetermined that there, there are going to be some issues with the ovaries. And so we need to take, you know, extra good care in that department. For others of us, it's our joints and we might develop, you know, a joint condition or for others, it's a heart disease, a heart condition. So it really just depends. We all have those genetic weak links. So I would say that those are the reasons why one might not ovulate and, or at least ovulate consistently with PCOS. I think you just answered my, uh, my next question, which I was going to ask you, what are some ways to shorten the follicular phase for those of us, you know, who have PCOS and who have longer cycles? And I guess you just answered it, right? It's all about the inflammation and how we are ovulating actually like pretty late, which mm -hmm. is causing us to have a longer cycle. Yeah, I would say that. And I would also say that, you know, like when I was saying before about, um, what was I saying again? Oh yeah. When I was saying before about inflammation and whatnot, I think like one of the biggest things is that we have to support our ovaries. Like when you think about mitochondria and the fact that that's basically what your ovaries are made up because that's, you know, the original, like the place where everything comes from. So those little follicles, you want to make sure that you are supporting them with, you know, specific nutrients and we tend to not, you know, we just tend to not know about this stuff. And so I would say that, you know, it's so important to be thinking about, of course, inflammation. So thinking about your gut health, what can you do to support your gut? Like one of the best things I recommend for my clients, and I did this in the book as well, and I walk everyone through it is an elimination diet. What can you take out of your diet that will basically help your gut lining heal, will help your microbiome start to repopulate with healthier species of bacteria. And the an elimination diet where you're taking out things like sugar, because that's ruthless and it will do a number on you, as well as you know something like corn and dairy and soy um, and gluten-containing grains. Though even just those Will make, a, will make such an impact on your gut health. Because if you think about them, it's like kind of like having a cut on your arm and you're just sort of scratching your cut every single day and it's never going to heal. That's essentially what it's like for your gut lining if there is gut lining damage and you're eating these foods every single day. So if we can start to like take away some of the things that are triggering this response, we're going to have, it's going to be like a system-wide effect. Your ovaries are going to respond, I promise. And then I also think about nutrients. Like we definitely need omega-3 fatty acids. So bringing in uh, more of that wild-caught fish, if that's something you can do, or taking a supplement, if that's something you need to do. Um, N-acetylcysteine is an amazing supplement to not only support your liver's detoxification and breakdown of hormones, but it also, you know, helps to produce glutathione, which is a master antioxidant in your body. Um, mm. The B-complex as well, you'll find that in like all the nuts and seeds and some, in the, some of them in the leafy green vegetables. And then of course, in 
high quality proteins. So these are going to as well <clears throat> support not only your liver's ability to remove harmful chemicals from your body, which of course trigger even more inflammation, but they'll also uh, support your ovarian function. Like B6 really, really helps in com combination with magnesium to address like premenstrual symptoms. So there, you know, there are a lot of things that we can do, but I, I do really think that from a, like from a most, the most basic standpoint, it's like, what can we do with our food that is going to make us feel better? I love that. I love that you cover all the nutritional aspects, lifestyle habits, um, all the important nutrients actually um, that are important to regulate our periods and improve hormone health. Um, oh, I was just going to say something, but I forgot now. Um, so are there any kind of lifestyle adjustments that you would recommend for PCOS women? Um, like, like removing toxins, for example? Oh yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah, that's a big <laughs> right? one, right? <laughs> yeah, it really is. And you know, this really goes for everyone, obviously, as we know, right? But I, I do think that Oh, I mean, like when I think about the toxins, especially that one is so huge. When we talk about something like BPA or, or bisphenol A, it's, you know, it's widely used in plastics. It's highly estrogenic and, you know, potentially causing high estrogen levels in both men and women, actually. And, you know, and, and even has been found to contribute to birth defects in children. I mean, this is like in the research itself. So we really have to be diligent about this. I do think that if there's one thing that we could all do, it's removing plastics from our environment, like these synth synthetic xenoestrogens, which are basically just man-made chemicals that imitate estrogen in our bodies. And, you know, and they just wreak all kinds of havoc because those xenoestrogens are essentially just estrogen imposters and they mimic estrogen and they cause all of these symptoms and they cause them to be even heightened in many cases. And so like BPA is just one of them. And like I said, it's in many of these food containers and things like that. Even if we just made an effort to remove though that ingredient from our lives, like it could be game changing. And the reason I say that is because BPA is an obesogen. So it's a chemical that promotes weight gain and obesity. Mm -hmm. And it also is, it disrupts follicle and egg development in females. Like, are you kidding? That's crazy. Yes. It's no. ridiculous. I know it's totally ridiculous. And so we have, it's, I feel like we have a responsibility to ourselves and to our children to rid our, rid our lives of this stuff. And again, like I actually had someone say to me recently that because of the pandemic, she wasn't ordering food anymore. She was actually just cooking food and she wasn't eating out and she wasn't eating mm -hmm. out of plastic containers. And she said for the first time in years, that she had um, no breast pain at all during her premenstrual time and that she was shocked by it. She's like, what have I done differently? And that was really the only thing that's changed is that, you know, she's just not eating out and she's not ordering in takeout, which, you know, typically comes in these plastic containers. So mm. I really, I do think that it's something that we all have to be cognizant of because BPA in your bloodstream is not great at all. And it's really problematic, I think, for women who, you know, have a condition like PCOS in particular. Wow, that's awesome for your client. I can't believe she actually, you know, had that change. Right? Um, it's just a big from, deal. Yeah, just from not dining out. That's, that's awesome. So everything we talked about today, all of this is in your new book, right? Called Fix Your Period. 
Yes, everything is in there. And then some, it's like 400 pages long. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I think I want to I wanna, uh, go actually get the hard, co- the hard cover. Uh, oh, I would love right for now. you to do yes. that. Yes, yes definitely. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to wrap this up. But where can actually people find you on social media? Yeah, so you can go to my website, which is NicoleJardim.com. And I have a blog on there and I've written about all of this stuff extensively. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the book Fix Your Period as well, um, where I walk everyone through uh, periods 101 and what to know and what's normal and what's not. And then, of course, a six-week protocol on how to start addressing all of this stuff. And on social media, I'm, at, I'm on Instagram mostly. It's Nicole M. like Madeline Jardim. You can find me on there. I'm pretty much sharing about periods and hormones every single day of my life. <laughs> so there's a lot to learn on there. You're a period queen for sure. <laughs> that's what you are. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I guess it's kind of is that way now. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And it's great because I just released a whole um, mini series about how to regulate periods without the birth control. But it's just kind of all really short episodes. And I felt like our conversation today was a good wrap up of everything. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa, so much for having me on. This was amazing.